Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. I'm your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin, and hope you enjoy this limited edition podcast. You can find out more about us at alleninvestments.com. And I would like to welcome my special guest here, Dr. Emil Hawkins. Good afternoon. Professor of Leadership at Southeastern University. We have worked together for a number of years. And uh, today we want to talk about leadership and service but I believe you have just in the last couple of days completed a marathon. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Just still feeling it, every bit of it. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about your experience. Well, so this is the Space Coast Marathon. And good for me that it happens the weekend following Thanksgiving. <laughs> so that allows me to eat all I want, for the most part, knowing that I'm going to Utilize those calories. Carbo-loading. Just a carbo-load, yes, yes. yes. So the sweet potato pies, you know, all of the the good stuff, right? And so, yes, every year for the last almost six or seven years now, uh, my wife and I, uh, she does the half marathon at 13.1, and I do the 26.2. And I will tell you, anyone listening, the .2 is absolutely the longest distance. Now, you know who we have to thank for the .2. Do you know your history of marathoning? (laughs) Oh, well. Tell me. Please do. I'm going to have to share this bit of Yes, please do. Please do. Trivia. Well, you know the history of the marathon, obviously, goes back to the ranning as the messenger ran, gave the message, and then proceeded to die. Then he died. And then he died. And that's why I'm not doing marathons. (laughs) Right there. It turns out that probably was only about 23 miles. Right. Right. And when the marathon started in the Olympics, it wasn't a standard distance. It was the London Marathon that came up. And it was going to be about 25 miles. However, the queen decided she wanted to see the start of it. And they backed it up to in front of the castle in London as the starting point. They didn't move the finish. They just moved the start. And that start was 26.2 miles. 26 miles, 385 yards. In the Olympic marathon that was the London, I believe 1908, I may be a little off on the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the first one was in 1896. And that stuck. And to this day, that has become the standard length of the marathon. And so it would have been a mile, almost a mile and a quarter shorter, had it not been for the Queen of England at that point. Uh, the queen. Wow, the Queen. God, <laughs> so God so you can, you can be upset with the Queen yeah. as your legs cramp oh on that gosh. last mile. Oh, my God. Sorry, I... And every time, yes. no matter what I've done, uh, as I was telling you earlier, that this is the first year I've been sick just before. Sometimes you get sick because your immune system tanks, you know, somewhere in the process. But this happened two weeks out. Flu. Uh, it wasn't COVID, it was flu. And my energy was just zapped, didn't have the energy. And usually the three weeks you're tapering, but you still need to be doing the kinds of things to prep yourself for and then take the final week to definitely taper. Um, but this time was almost no activity for the last three weeks. And then you just got to do oh, your best wow. to show up and do your best. So I, I preserved my back half and basically walked more than I ran and made it through the first half with, you know, my normal time. But the goal was to finish. And this Space Coast, which may be a connection point somewhere in our conversations today, is ran on a pretty linear straight line. They split the mar- marathoners from the half marathoners who desired to, desired to run the north half or the south half. But the marathoners run both the north and the south. So you leave the finish line twice. You leave it to go (laughs) 6.75 and come back 6.75, 13.1. You leave again to go 6.75 and then turn it. So when you turn around that last time at around the 19 point something or 20, 
you can almost see home, but it's 6.7 miles away. And that's how you know you're coming back home. What is that for you like? Because it's, I mean, it is like running two separate races. It is. How is that for you mentally compared? And this is not your first marathon, no, right? No, no, So how does that compare to the standard marathon? Yeah, so I've done Chicago um, Marathon. I've done the Disney Marathon. Okay. Uh, and both of those, you go out and you just keep going. And at some point, there's a turnaround point to come back. But different than that, this one, it, this reminder when you come up on the 13.1 is that you, in your mind, are thinking, if I were to stop now, I'd still get a trophy. It'd be the half marathon. Tro- so I could just stop. You are clearly reminded that this is a good time to call it quits. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You have a great opportunity. It's like the last train out. You're right. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I take it back. Um, Miami Marathon does the same thing. Miami Marathon, you really? come back into downtown mm-hmm. and then you go out toward Coconut Grove for the second half uh, and come back. So there are two marathons that you pass the finish line twice. Well, f- 50 years ago when I was running my marathons, <laughs> I never had one where I had to come back to the finish and be tempted. I, I'm not sure I would have made it. Just keep going. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure pretty I sure wouldn't, wouldn't have made it. <laughs> so there's, there's definitely, I'm sure we'll make a correlation. I, I see it in my mind, but you're, it's the loudest time for me. I can't speak for Dr. Boland. Uh, for me, it, that my body speaks to me or my mind speaks to me and I feel like I'm having this conversation about decisions I'm making now or in the future is when I'm running. It seems like that is the closest connection to myself that I am at any other point in my life. No, I think it's it's amazing, and I don't run hardly at all anymore, unfortunately. I, I did the carbo loading last week and then... <laughs> I did the carbo loading yes. for five days. And, and then it stopped. And it stopped. <laughs> but I, I still remember when I used to run a lot, it, you just, you had that clarity of mind that hits in after 40 or 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you really do think a lot about what you want to do, how you want to accomplish things that are completely unrelated to running, but everything to do with, you know, what do I need to do next? How can I, you know, whatever it is you're thinking about. Yes. You know, how yes. do I help? How do I serve? It's that clarity of thinking yes. that, that so, you know, it sets in. And, and it's amazing. The, like, even now, though I'm in recovery pain, you know, I'm in recovery pain, um, I'm clear that a goal has been accomplished. Yes. And I'm also clear, for my wife's sake, that who's a heart heart patient, former heart patient, uh, double bypass, wow. doing half marathon, although she's walking fast as she can. How many heart patients do you know that can do that? So I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to do this physical activity, recognizing, Mm -hmm. as we just noted, that there are times you need to pull yourself back and pay attention to yourself. I'm not saying that running is the only way you can do it, but for me, it has been a way to be in touch with some of the decisions I've made, making, or will make in the future. Mm -hmm. And it it really is amazing on on how that works. I think one one of the other things I want to dig in a little bit on uh, as I think about how the analogy to preparing for a marathon, I often think about as you invest over life and, and you're saving towards some retirement goal, that that whole process is much more like a marathon than it is a sprint. Very much so. And, and that sort of that training period that you do preparing for a marathon where you're setting your base for the future success mm-hmm. gets back in my mind to how you can have compounding of interest in your life is your training 
as you go through that process. Absolutely. And it's a discipline. It is. It's a discipline. So the discipline of investing very much so correlates to the discipline of training for any race that's beyond something you can simply do in a sprint. So a half marathon, a, a 10K, long distance, things that takes more than 35 to 40 minutes an hour. All of those. Now, mind you, as I saw and my wife's also uh, made note of, there are many individuals who just show up on the marathon day with the aspiration to complete either the half or the whole with no previous training. Mind you, some of those people do finish. The question is, what shape are you in when you're done? Do you barely get in? <laughs> do you, does somebody have to wheel you in? Do you crawl in? How do you want to finish? So investments as well. And Dr. Bolin is definitely the, the, the guru here. But when I think about watching how you've done some things investment-wise, trying to pay attention at this stage of my life to my own investments, it's about the discipline early, earlier, better, so that you can preserve yourself later. It's, it's difficult to decide you want to start saving at the finish line when you're near a retirement age. It's not saying it can't be done. It can be done. Right. Everything in life is a trade-off. But it's a trade-off. Right. So it what are you willing this to sacrifice, this right? which comes down to that discipline? Which comes back down to that discipline. Mm -hmm. I want to break in to a little more discussion on what that whole process of training and the ups and downs. I've, I've got a couple of other examples. But right now, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. I'm your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin, and uh, here on Bolin's Alley on this, this particular day, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Emil Hawkins here. We've been talking about a marathon that he just completed, and uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the training process, and I'd, I'd like to pick your brain a little bit on that, and as we were saying, how that relates to how you think about being a good servant you know, sort of where your calling is, how you how you can invest for the future, how you want to accomplish certain things, mm -hmm. and, and sort of the analogy on that mindset. So if we take the average, as I understand, the average individual training or preparing to train for a marathon, it's about six months out, maybe four months out if other things are, you know, uh, pending. So let's just take the four to six months, and then let's make also the correlation to investments as well. Uh, you're thinking about the end – in mind. So that's the good old uh, Stephen Covey mindset. Now I begin with the end in mind. So the goal is to have this date in which one is going to complete this task. However, what most people don't realize, which I didn't realize until sometime later, you run many marathons in preparation for the marathon. It's just that they're broken up. That's why this building of mileage each week is absolutely longer combined than what you would do individually on the day of the marathon, you're building miles. So we correlate also to investments and serving and servanthood. It's the investment, not just in what you're trying to accomplish for yourself as this end goal, it's what are you doing that also helps others to accomplish their goals. And so for me as a family man, as the primary income person, I'm not at this juncture, as we spoke about momentarily ago, uh, just thinking about what I want as an end goal, but how does this help my spouse? How does this help my children? And as I also mentioned, my wife joined on. I challenged her. And this is when we found out that she had a health challenge that was under the surface. No, this is a lady who eats, Dr. Bolin is my witness, eats as well as anybody could be expected to eat. However, an underlying situation, they call it a widow maker, is because 
uh, the doctors, two different doctors, both her doctor and a doctor 20 years previously told me when I was visiting with a member of my church, um, and I was going to leave the room, the doctor said, no, please wait one moment. I think he would like you to hear this. Are you sure? He said, yes, I want him to hear this. What's happening to you, sir? And another doctor said to my wife, what's happening to you, ma'am, has nothing to do with how you ate during the last 10 or 20 years of your life. What's happening to you is how you ate during your late teens and 20s. Well, think about us. How did we eat during our late teens and 20s? So I'm thinking about investment of time and effort and preparation. A lot of what we find as a result to ourselves is probably the result of what we did many, many years ago. And I see the correlation even to fitness. I'm not automatically on suddenly on one given day going to be Mr. Fit. I have to prepare. So my mind says six months prior, I've got to get in the mind. I now know as a, as a finisher, not a winner, but as a marathon finisher, that I can do a marathon. The question is, what shape am I going to be in mm. when I do it? Do I want to hurt more after? Then train less. Do I want to hurt less after? Train more. Do I want to finish sooner? Train harder, faster when you train. <laughs> so there's a couple of things you have to do. And so I realized those, those uh, impartations of each part requires a mindset of how I want to finish and what state I want to be in when I'm done. And I think that's such a great analogy to what every individual wants to accomplish in their life, even though they may never run a mile. But it's that whole thing of where, what do you want to be at the end and how do I get there? You know, do I do I do things harder or faster? Do I try to fast track? Can you take shortcuts? Right now, I'm sorry, all I can think about when you were talking about that is I suppose all those times that I used to run and then eat five Big Macs probably didn't set me up well then, did it? No, no, no. When I was in my early No, you're running 20s. well, but your, your, your body is just saying, okay, so what do I do with the – all food is not nutrition. I mean, I'm learning that mm -hmm. of the later years. Just because you're eating doesn't mean it's nutritious. Of course, this is a guy who liked Twinkies when he was growing up, liked uh, Pop-Tarts, and found out each one later, is a, each one in a double pack is a serving. That's, that's, that's tough. I, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the box of Pop-Tarts was, was a serving. <laughs> oh. there, there's something about the invincibility of uh, mindset in our youth because it's the same thing as I'm listening to you talk about um, what the doctor told you about your wife's condition. And I think about skin cancer. It's not what I'm doing now because I'm behaving now. Yes, I've been behaving for 10 years, yeah, yeah. maybe 15, 20, sure, whatever. Sure, sure. But I remember back when I was 16 years old, what we were all doing at that age, yeah. which was, you know, setting our, yeah, setting ourselves up thinking, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just... So I get I guess the ten million dollar question you'll get to eventually, but I'm gonna I, I'm excited to hear how we counterbalance that because youth is meant to yeah. learn. Yes, yes. But how do we turn that? And, and I think it's I think that's a great point that you don't want to be so hard on yourself on choices that you've made earlier. Right. Because there's always opportunities mm -hmm. to make amends to learn because the whole process. It's it again. It gets back to that old saying: "It's not the end point; it's the journey." Right. And every choice you make, there's two choices, right? Every time you decide something, you can either do it or not do it. Mm -hmm. And even if you make some choices you wish you hadn't made, one of the wonderful things is is that you almost always can be redeemed from those choices. 
as you continue to learn. And and don't be afraid to learn, no matter what your age. Continue to learn. I I was talking to uh, Keith Albritton, mm-hmm. who ran a marathon out in Lake Tahoe. And, and so he was saying, yeah, I trained 500 miles. It was over about four to five months. It was 16 to 18 weeks. And I was training here in Lakeland. And then I went out to Lake Tahoe and forgot that that race is at 5,000 feet elevation and goes up to 7,000 feet mm-hmm. elevation. And it's like, okay, I didn't do anywhere near the kind of preparation to run at that kind of altitude. Mm-hmm. And I think the analogy I made when I was talking to him about that is I said, well, think about if you are investing over your lifetime, the what you have to be aware of is – not the elevation change so much as in a marathon, but what's your risk profile, mm. right? Am I preparing based on my risk or not? Am I, am I am, you know, again, am I taking a lot of risk if I'm not risk averse or am I not taking enough risk if I happen to feel like I should? You've got to match those up. And I think part of the learning process is when you're younger, you don't, you don't really know what that looks like until you go out and make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's where when you when you learn a little bit more about servant leadership and you learn a little bit more about yourself and who you can trust and who you can talk to, um, it's just a, it's a big learning process. Mm-hmm. But don't be afraid to make mistakes, right? Right, right. <clears throat> I, I mean, when I was learning and, and training to run, back in, in those days, if you were going to run a marathon – it used to be that you'd better average 90 to 100 miles a week mm-hmm. in preparation to run 26. 26. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate to think about what I did to my knees over putting all those miles in, <laughs> exactly. in the much less padded shoes oh that were available back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is part of the reason I don't try to run a lot anymore is my knees will just – there's nothing left in there. I didn't blow out any – Ligaments, right, right, right. but there's no padding left yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. It's just bone on bone right. because of all those miles. Well, you learn, right? Mm-hmm. And and so those lessons that they've learned help. And, and everybody makes those mistakes. And I think having people to talk to that have all through, go through those different experiences are things that help us mm-hmm. guide yes. in, along our path. Yes. And I, what I recognize, too, is that when you're running the half or the full – you are running with people who appear to be on the same journey, all shapes, all sizes, all ages. Some of those people I ran with the other day stopped at 13.1. They were with me on that first part of the journey, but they weren't going the rest of the way. They completed what they started. I still had something else to finish. So you can't compare yourself with what other people are doing. You have to know what you're supposed to be doing in your journey. That's, that is really that's, the, that's a great takeaway for this it is the discontinuing of comparison, and that applies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, even when you think about you have people in your life that are with you for a stage of your life, but then they're gone. Not good or bad. It's just they're no longer there. You move. They move. Things change. Right. And it wasn't that that was a bad experience. Mm-hmm. It was just for that period of time. The right experience. The right experience. And I think, again, uh, when we come back after this, after this little break, I think that's worth digging into a little bit. And I'd like you to share even a little bit more about some of the 
things you have read over time that leads you to to some of the insights that that you're sharing, I hope, with our audience here uh, today. So uh, we're going to take a short break and be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. I'm your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin, and uh, today on Bolin's Alley, I have a special guest, Dr. Emil Hawkins. We've been talking a lot about marathoning and preparation, and I think something we were just sharing about preparation and how it can act to um, avert mistakes because of the process. Yes. Uh, could you share a little bit about so in, in my wife's case, as I was mentioning, we were preparing for, in her case, a 5K, and I was preparing for a half marathon a few months out. I said, I had challenged her and said, you know, I think you should do this. I know that we know we're in our 50s, mid to late 50s at this point. Uh, it's still something I think that would be good for you. And so she started prepping. And on this one particular day, I dropped her off and I parked the car about a quarter mile, half a mile away. And I knew because I'm running, I'm going to pass you a couple of times around this 5K lake. And as I come up on her, I see her stumbling. Something's wrong. Uh, short, short notice on this. We end up at the, at the, um, urgency care. They say something looks like it's wrong. We end up, she ended up having a, um, stress test that Monday, end up preparing for stints on Friday that five days later. And then they couldn't do the stints three days later. She's having double bypass surgery. I will tell you six months later, she did complete that 5k. Wow. That's true. But it was that instance of something is wrong. The instance of preparation to do the 5K originally and the instance of something is wrong was the opportunity to recognize even like our finances or any other thing that we're in life. Every now and then you need a crisis. I, I wouldn't inject it. I wouldn't prescribe it. But it was the point of recognizing everything may not be as it is prepared in front of you, presented in front of you. There may be some underlying circumstances. A marathon will expose that. And I, th- and I think that's so true in life. I mean, think about, and again, all of you out there listening, I'm not expecting you to to go out and train a marathon to get these lessons unless you want to. I would encourage it. It's a wonderful experience. Uh, I ran my first one literally, it would have been 50 years ago this year. It was in June of 1972, I ran my first marathon. But uh, I I keep thinking I will do another one someday in my life. We'll see. Why not? Why not? But as you go through life, you are always preparing for something. You have life goals. But in that process, it's so important to listen. It may be listening to your body. It may be listening to your friends. It may be listening to people in your community as they're talking about things. It may be things you're reading about. But the, the important thing is, is that there may be that aha moment as you're doing that where you'll get, it may be a quiet whisper, it may be a slap up the side of the head Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that some crisis is reaching a critical juncture. Right. And the choice you make at those critical points, if you aren't trying to listen and being part of community and try to hold it all into yourself and, nope, I'm just going to finish this walk, I'm going to finish what I'm doing, if you're not willing to kind of have that Mm -hmm. other exposure, so to speak, of listening, then the crisis becomes, in this case, mm-hmm. would have been life. It would have been life, life for sure. Life, completely life-changing, right. if not life-ending. Right, right. And I think whether we're talking about our community that we're operating it in or within our business, um, I get back and think about, and this 
this I think will give you a chance to talk about some of the, mm-hmm. the books and authors, but I think about as a manager, what you are often trying to do is telling the story of your culture, the story of your business, and it's the training that you're doing with your people that is going to make or break a business. And if you don't take the time to tell those stories and really know what your story is, mm-hmm. that you're not going to be successful. Right. You, you may have the greatest idea in the, in the world on how you're going to accomplish something, but if you don't share that with the people that are working with you, it's so easy to have a misconception about what you're trying to accomplish if you're not being clear. And I think back, and, and I know this is where you're going to be able to help me, but I think about some organizations that had incredible success early on with their founder. But when the founder left, the founder, he or she left, didn't tell the story well enough to set up the culture to where that organization within a few years would be unrecognizable to the original founder. Right. Wow. Wow. And Collins, you know, Jim Collins in his Good to Great book, surveying some 20-plus companies. Now, some of those have failed since he wrote the book. But it was a pivotal reading for me, seminal reading in my mind, when I started my doctoral program in 2001 because I hadn't seen anyone – gather the information about top performing companies with the data and the quantitative and qualitative as it related to performance the way he had done at that time. That's why it's such a phenomenal book. To this day, it sits on my shelf. Uh, red book, red cover with black letter, good to great. Now, here's the thing. There's a couple of things in here that I think are important. Uh, among those is his idea that to be successful requires this investment that most people don't pay attention to like you were mentioning about the pioneers or the authors of the organization, because they don't tell the story. They're just so busy in running the organization, getting things to a certain level, they're not sharing the story. And I would correlate that even to our marathon conversation illustration. A lot of people don't know your story when they look at you as a profile. They look at you as a person. They don't know what you've gone through to get where you are. What they want is your success. What they want is your end results, but they don't want your process. Yeah. They don't want your process. They just want your, your success. <laughs> and so we see certain people. Like, so Collins helped me with the idea about the 10,000-hour principle. He says it's success is when 10,000 hours of preparation meets with one moment of opportunity. 10,000 hours. We tell Purposeful. Students, purposeful. Because you just can't do willy-nilly everything. You have to be mindful about what you're trying to accomplish uh, in order to have this end result. Well, then I started to think, well, geez, how much more do I have to invest at the early ages of my life that we spoke about earlier? I wasn't thinking about investments. I wasn't, you know, we were having our family. We were, we were trying to make a house note payment. How can you save? How can you save? So later in life, as some of those things start to move, the kids move out, you know, uh, other things start to happen. You start realizing you have some extra funds here. What are you going to do with this? Now you have to make other decisions. Those crises, things have changed. Your crises have changed. Mm-hmm. Now you need to make different decisions about your future. I wasn't thinking, in fact, I could have retired twice by now, right? Two different jobs that I started early years ago could have retired at at 20-year jobs, 20-year retirements, but could have done that by now. But I've stayed and done other things. Now, had I done that, I wouldn't be doing this. Right. However, when I think about how much money I've wasted, right, or spent on other things that didn't have any results past 
the, the temporary. How much wealthier would I be today? So Collins is one of those. The, the other one I would mention, and because you mentioned something very a uh, moment ago, I thought was absolutely, like I said, I started thinking about Simon Sinek's, you know, knowing your why. Yes. Knowing your why. I wish, I wish that book. had come out earlier. Another great book. Oh, my gosh. Because suddenly it's not doing things just to be doing it. And that's where I correlate him also to Covey uh, with the seven habits of highly effective people, which is still another great book to have on your shelf because it helps a person to start thinking about it. By the way, if you're listening to this while you're driving, please don't try to write this down now. You can, <laughs> you can say it out loud, but, but these are three books that I think everybody can gain from no matter what your discipline is, by the way. Yes. So, Sorry. So definitely um, Colin's book, Good to Great. The second one is, is uh, Simon Sinek's Know Your Why. A third one might be possibly, and these are the two gentlemen that signed off on let me use their qualitative data for my finished project in my dissertation or my, my doctoral project. And this is Kuz and, and Posner. We had them at, at the university yeah. a number of years ago, and they wrote the Leadership Challenge. Oh, my gosh. It makes a big difference in understanding that there are definite ways in which one can succeed. But now the question is in investments, in serving with other people, how do you put all these things together so that you are no longer just thinking about your own individual success, but the success of the people around you still requires investment, investment, investment. And I think that's when it comes to investing in general, if you're thinking about money, you aren't in very rare circumstances, investing for yourself. You really have to think about others as you do that. Um, and I think when you think about being a good leader, I go back, I spent uh, about 13 years early on, right after I got married, in the grocery industry. By the way, I love the grocery business. <laughs> I just, I still, I would, if I'd stayed in that my entire career, I would have been one happy guy. It's just, it really is a blast. Uh, I, I'd get in trouble back in Des Moines, Iowa, because I, at uh, one time we'd be in the mall and I think I, 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 I've said this multiple times, but I know we were walking the mall one day out in, in Des Moines and uh, like in a matter of 10 minutes, like 15 different women had said, hi, Lyle. None of them obviously being my wife. Uh, <laughs> and, and Linda, my wife looked at me and said, I swear, you know, every woman that lives on the South side of Des Moines. And, and, and I did because that was what I wanted to learn about store. when I was on the floor in the grocery business. What did they like? What did they serve? But here was the thing with, with one manager that made the most sense to me. He, he said, Lyle, I don't ever want to be average. And I don't ever want you to be average. Because average is either the best of the worst or the worst of the best. And neither of those two things sound like where I want to be. Mm. And with that, let's take a break and come back in just one minute. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. I'm your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin, here on another special edition of Bolin's Alley, and I'm delighted to have my guest here is Dr. Emil Hawkins. One of the other things we were talking a little bit, if I can digress for a minute, about listening. I've had a couple of circumstances in, in just in the last month or so that I think are so important about our willingness. We're talking about listening to other people, serving other people, and uh, I, I was getting ready to go out, uh, and I won't go into too much detail. It almost gets a little too spiritual maybe, mm -hmm. but I was, I was going out to Starbucks one morning and I really was running a little bit late and I thought, you know, I'm, I don't really need to go to Starbucks. I probably, and, but I got out to the garage, got in the car and I went, no, no, I'm, 
I, I need to go to Starbucks this morning. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get something different. And so I put in my order in my iPhone, went to pick it up, and drove is about seven minutes away. I pulled in, I'd got down to the car, and I was starting to go in, and somebody else had got out of the car and was just starting to walk also, and then they said, Do you teach at Southeastern? And I went, well, I, I did. I, I retired. I'm doing this now. And so I thought I recognized you from there. He says, I got my degree there a number of years ago. And uh, then I went back and got my master's degree. And he says, uh, can, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. And, and he, you know, he said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to end up having some surgery here in another week. Mm-hmm. And he said, I know you're from Southeastern. And had they, he said, would, would you pray for me? Wow. And I thought, you know, that's why I was supposed to come. You want to talk about listening to those the quiet whispers. It wasn't the coffee that day. I'm convinced it wasn't. And I think all of us can have those sort of moments if we're listening to those quiet whispers mm-hmm. when we're having connections that are outside of our normal thought process that we can all be open to. Mm-hmm. If we'll, if we'll, And I, I know that sounds a little... But, but again, it's, it's part of who we are and who we are in community and how we serve and how we think and, and who made us mm-hmm. along the way mm-hmm. that, that those things can happen. I, I, had another, I had another circumstance that I had a former, former student, still fairly young, had called me uh, about some, could we meet for coffee and, and uh, talk a little bit about mentoring and my ideas as I start on this new career. And so I had uh, asked about, you know, well, what is it you're trying to do? And where's, what kind of industry are you in? And and, uh, so she's telling me about this and, and I'm going, okay, this is kind of interesting. Earlier that morning, I had set up a breakfast meeting with somebody for the next week that was in that very industry that she was starting (laughs) to work in. And so we're sitting there and I thought, okay, I've got one potential connection that would be a good person that for you to meet with. Um, and then I heard somebody else say, hi, Lyle. And I turned around and two tables over is another friend that I had gone with through different programs and known over a number of years. And guess what? He also was in the exact same industry <laughs> that she was starting, which would be a great mentoring connection. So there was one coffee meeting scheduled and two other connections directly that I had no idea was what area that she was looking. And I think as we go through life, mm-hmm. all of those sort of things will hit us because we're meant not to just be successful ourselves, but to help other people Absolutely. be successful. Absolutely. So isn't it interesting that when we are mindful and are calm and listen to what is going on with our body and our mind and our heart, there are no accidents. Those no. those messages, mm-hmm. I th- I think that's what I'm trying to come to terms with is, you know, where does wisdom come from? Mm-hmm. Mistakes and learning and changing mm-hmm. and, you know, adapt mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. overcome. But I think a lot of it, so much of it really has to do with centering ourselves yeah. and really being in the moment and paying attention mm-hmm. to what that voice is telling us. Because... I bet if we stopped right now mm-hmm. and I gave each of you a piece of paper, myself a piece of paper, Tim a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and 
just gave you 10 minutes, I'll bet you could come up with at least three to five different instances that have occurred for you personally in probably less than a year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, but I I think it's so critical also to remember those moments because unless we remember them Mm. and if we don't act on them, I think we, they're like talents, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we get as many more of those opportunities. I think it's just, I think that's a big part of where wisdom comes from. Absolutely. And as I was saying about the marathon earlier, uh, the running part, while you're running, you have individuals in front of you, individuals side of you, individuals behind you. Some of the people behind you are going to pass you. Mm-hmm. You're going to pass some of the people in front of you. Mm-hmm. Some of these people are out here just as the first time, you know, whatever the case, all I said earlier, all shapes, all size, all of that. But you're, the things, talking about listening, one of the things I hear in myself is stay in your lane. That is one of my most favorite, favorite <laughs> thoughts. I won't even say sayings. It is one of my favorite, favorite thoughts. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Because you're, going that. Out, you're, you're, you're really not competing with anyone else. You're out here with everyone else, but you're not necessarily competing with everyone else. You are, you are in your own thing. Be mindful of your steps. I'm never more mindful of my breathing mm-hmm. than when I'm running. Mm-hmm. trying to regulate my breathing. Now with the Garmin watch and all that, I'm also regulating my heartbeat. I want my heart rate to stay in a certain range. I don't want to go high, you know, on the red zone. I want to stay in that high green, high yellow, I should say, but not red. Mm-hmm. But these are the things that listening to yourself and listening to things that are coming at you that can preserve you. In other words, if you don't pay attention, it, it's going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. But if you can listen to wisdom, counsel, uh, information that can help you. Sometimes it's the small things you see and hear someone saying that they may not directly be mentoring you, but they're saying things around you. Those can be the same things you can learn from to help you in your own journey. I have always believed that if it's within your periphery, I don't care what it is. I don't care how relevant you believe it is. And I say it all the time. This happened around me. There's a reason this happened around me, and I need to pay attention. And I literally am verbal about it. I say it out loud because it serves as a great reminder. Okay. Yep. I call that pay, catcher's mitt. Pay, yeah. Start catching. I love that. Mm-hmm. I yep. love that. That's catcher's a great, mm-hmm. great thought. And some time ago, I said, I'm going to stop allowing things to go over my head. Stop letting mm. things go over your head. Find a way to grab it. Take note of it. You may not be able to do anything with the moment, mm-hmm. but grab it so that you can think about it at a later date and work yeah. it through. I, I always, one of the things that has fascinated me, uh, and again, I grew up in Southern Iowa, you know, the, the, the very definition of the, of the wasp, right? White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I had a, a Jewish roommate my freshman year in college who was, who was not completely Orthodox, but very, very close to Orthodox Jew. And so I, I started from him. I learned a lot about uh, Hebrew and, mm-hmm. and took a little Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm fascinated with a lot of how the two definitions in so many of the Hebrew words are. And one of them that we're talking about here today is the word hokma, mm-hmm. which is the Jewish word for wisdom. But the beauty that I got out of that learning that I would have never thought of otherwise is that hokma in the Jewish tradition of wisdom means it's not just knowledge, it's knowledge and knowing how to use it. it, And so many of us gain all of this knowledge and we have all of this learning, but we never really take that step of how do you use it? What is it that's valuable? And because you know, it's like I could go on Jeopardy and I can memorize all of these facts, 
but I could have zero wisdom. It just means I've got a great photographic memory and I can regurgitate an on answer. Command. On command. Mm-hmm. But yes. does that mean that I know anything about that discipline? No. 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 <laughs> I have a lot of knowledge and no wisdom. Right. Right. And so one of the things in your life is, is to use all of the knowledge you have gained mm-hmm. and how do I apply it? That's being wise. Absolutely. And that's where you get to share that. So wisdom is where knowledge meets experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we're not built to be functioning as silos. No. I don't think we were put here for that purpose. No. Share, sharing. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important, even in the academic realm I am in, to be involved with other things in service to community so that I can have the opportunity to apply the knowledge and the theory to the community and then take the community experience and bring it back to the classroom. Yes. And that's that sort of and that's one of the problems in, in academia sometimes is that you're such an expert in one field and you have so much knowledge that you get geared into that and you don't think about how to actually effectively share it. Mm-hmm. How do I inspire other people? Absolutely. Which is this word praxis, right? It's this new buzzword. It just means being practical. It means knowledge applied. But a lot of times in the academic world, they are just trained to be knowledge um, reservoirs versus something that's actually pour, opening that, that gate and letting that knowledge flow. Yeah, I would view that as stranded in a silo. Mm. Yes. I mean, I just, I, the thought of that would be, mm-hmm. And it, it is, it, it be, but if you're comfortable there, then you don't know any better. And so all of you out there listening today, don't be in a silo. You have things to share. You have wisdom to share from your knowledge in that process. I would ask that you all do that. And also, I want to thank you for joining us today. If you would like to see more like this podcast, please go to Boland's Alley at alleninvestments.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope this is of great use to you in, in your life. Thank you. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida, LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial, LLC, LPL, Registered Investment Advisors. Securities offered through LPL, member FINRA, SIPC.